Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together out loud, chapter by chapter, looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18 here today. Uh, an interesting contrast here between the love, as it's described, uh, between David and Jonathan, and the jealousy that erupts pretty quickly uh, with David and Saul um, being one way. We already saw couple chapters before um, that David's already sworn his his loyalty and his utmost devotion to Saul but that's uh, not going to be reciprocated here so this is really interesting to see this how uh, David gets introduced into the family he gets to become Saul's son-in-law which you'd think would be a relatively safe position (laughs) you think to yourself oh yeah it's pretty good like being in the king's family well depends on the disposition of the king so uh, an, an interesting chapter in terms of just the the dynamics of the story, but I, I think also here are some big questions for us about uh, what is it what is it like trying to pursue uh, friendship, loyalty, um, allegiance um, in terms of the walk of faith. So uh, some some good questions to discuss. Um, we're, we're actually having a little bit of trouble today. Uh, getting a hold of our guest, uh, but Lord willing, we'll be able to connect him soon. Uh, But for right now, let's just go ahead and open up with a prayer, and then we'll just read the text, the chapter through. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and grace and love and loyalty that you show us every day, Uh, not that we have earned it, uh, not that we're entitled to it, but, but rather, uh, despite the, the ups and downs of our own fickle hearts, you show us what true uh, and steadfast love is like. Give us, by the power of your Spirit, uh, that same love that we may share, uh, may share it with others, and that as we turn to this text here, uh, we may devote ourselves to the study of your word for the benefit of others. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right. So we got 1 Samuel chapter 18. So we, uh, you notice the chapter starts off. There were, there were so many things with David and Goliath last time, or David and the Philistine, as we said last time. Uh, we just could not talk about all of them, uh, not even close, not even half of them. Uh, but we did talk about a number of the good highlights there, and uh, we, we saw how the, the story really is uh, a lot bigger than just these two men. It's really the Spirit of God versus the whole Philistine people, which seem to kind of stand for just all the enemies of God. So this, like on the one hand, the Spirit, and the other hand, really just all the enemies of God. Uh, so very, very big kind of conflict, and, and, and those two figures are just standing for uh, much more uh, than just their individual selves. At the end of that, we have this conversation between Saul and David. Uh, and something we didn't have a chance to get into is that it seems like this actually might have been the first time that David and Saul had a chance to have a one-on-one conversation, uh, which is kind of surprising because uh, I think when we were going through it in First Samuel 16, we, we didn't really have a chance to, to get into this. But we saw back in 1 Samuel chapter 16, so this is kind of setting the stage here, uh, in verse uh, 21, and 
David came to Saul and entered his service, and Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Uh, and then, in verse 22, And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he's found favor in my sight. So when we read that, we think to ourselves, like, oh, like there's already this like really good you know, uh, relationship and rapport between the two of them. Uh, but it, it was it was interesting. Uh, one of our listeners on Facebook alerted me to uh, some comments in, in Steinman's commentary, which also uh, aligned with something that I had uh, looked into, looking at the original language, just reviewing uh, the last couple of chapters. And and yeah, we actually both came up with the with the same idea here, which is that th- this word here, Saul, uh, as in Saul loved him greatly. It's not actually there in the Hebrew. And that maybe the best way to take this is that Saul goes and enters uh, in, with an audience uh, before uh, David enters like into the audience or like the, maybe the, the throne room or whatever the equivalent would be uh, before Saul. And he stands before him. And he takes like an oath of loyalty, right? He like swears his devotion to him and becomes just one of the armor bearers, the squires. And the, the language actually kind of puts us in that direction. So all the text is really saying in chapter 16 is that David's just, you know, been enlisted and he's just one of the many, many men who serve under Saul. There's no reason why Saul would even know his name. Um, everything would have been handled by intermediaries. So when we get uh, to first Samuel uh, chapter 17 and this conversation that they have, this is likely the first time they actually ever talked uh, one-on-one, or at least the first time, like we were saying last time. Uh, I really appreciated the uh, <laughs> the anecdote from Pastor uh, Pastor Nolan, uh, how he had the conversation uh, some like 30 years ago with the president of the synod, um, and then the next day he was like, who are you? <laughs> um, so yeah, so when they have this uh, conversation here at the end, uh, he, he, you know, uh, we, we see there, where was it? In a... Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, in verse uh, 56, you know, the king said, inquires who, whose son the boy is. And he's just, you know, asking him, who, whose son are you, young man? He doesn't, he doesn't even know the guy. Oh, he's, he's one of the, you know, 20-some uh, squires that I have. So, so yeah, so it, it's, uh, that, that's the situation. We just had this kind of their first conversation, um, actually, in a lot of ways. And then so we turn to chapter 18. And uh, this, this then kind of helps us understanding this when it says, you know, as soon as he'd finished speaking to Saul. So hopefully that kind of sets the context here. Um, oh, yes, and it looks like actually we've been able to get a hold of our guest here. Nothing, uh, nothing that he had done wrong, just some wires crossed and miscommunication. But we've got him. He's Pastor Wally Vinovskis at Concordia Lutheran Church in McCungie, Pennsylvania, Good morning, brother. Good to have you back. <laughs> we were able to get a hold of you. How are you doing? Good morning. Yeah, I'm doing okay. It's been a little uh, uh, crazy morning. I'm glad that we were able to to find each other this morning. I apologize about the the few minute delay here. Oh yeah, I, I don't even think that was your fault. So I'm just I'm just glad that we we got you on here. Um, we want to get right into this here. I was just laying the. The, the, the context here, you know, it says here, as soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, um, I was I was offering an interpretation to say that this this may have been the first time that he actually had a conversation, that even though he's been serving Saul, um, this is uh, about to get um, a lot more intimate here in terms of uh, him just actually leaving his, his father and his hometown um, and, and coming into, like, the permanent um, impact 
you know, employ of, of Saul here. So a anything else, um, just really quick here, by way of uh, refreshing our memory or drawing on the context that we should point out before we read through the chapter? No, I think that's exactly right. I think there's an, you know, um, an intimacy, you know, that you're going to see not only in this chapter, but moving forward. You know, it, get, it, gets, it gets real, it gets personal um, in, in this chapter and the next one, both in a, in a positive and a negative way. So, no, that's a great setup. All right, let's go ahead then without any further ado. So we'll read just straight through the chapter, and then we'll kind of circle back around, and we'll want to spend some time talking about um, you know, verses one and two, especially which uh, this, I mean, just, uh, I, it kind of seems to happen quickly. Um, this, this, uh, really just, they're just kind of instantly, um, like, you know, BFF or something like that. But, um, yeah, we'll, we'll read through the chapter, then we'll, we'll come circle around and look at this. So this is first Samuel chapter 18. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David in his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. As they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, the women came out of the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands, and David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him. He said, They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have can he have but the kingdom? And Saul eyed David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre, as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. But David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success in all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood fearful of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib. I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And David said to Saul, Who am I, and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel the Maholathite for a wife. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul thought, Let me give her to him, that she may be a snare for him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, You shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, Speak to David in private, and say, 
Behold, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now then, become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servants spoke those words in the ears of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? And the servants of Saul told him, Thus and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king desires no bride price, except a hundred foreskins of the Philistines, that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. And when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men and killed two hundred of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Then the commanders of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they had come out, David had more success than all the servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. All right. Yeah, a lot of a lot of irony, I think, in this chapter. I mean, I think there's there's been a lot of irony so far. Um, you know, we we kind of just see this is uh, I think maybe the, I mean, this is the third chapter in a row now where you're just kind of seeing more and more the the eclipsing right of of Saul by by David, but in this chapter it's uh you you have this you know it's like <laughs> I'm gonna set a trap for him and the thing just <laughs> it's like this uh. I mean, it, it, it actually kind of feels kind of like a Greek tragedy where you, you try to avoid <laughs> I thought you were going to say the coyote and the roadrunner. Oh, well. <laughs> well yeah, might, it is it a Greek, like Greek tragedy. It might, it might be like that, too. <laughs> but we're, we're, you know, like we're, uh, it's just one of those things where you try to avoid this terrible fate, and that's the thing that ends up very ironically causing the terrible fate, right? So he, he tries to, oh, I'm just going to, I'll do this, and this will kill David. But it ends up just giving David more and more praise and esteem and raising up further in the ranks. And so, I mean, everything he's doing just ends up uh, just kind of falling into God's trap, you, you might you might say, on the other side of things. Um, but but yeah, al- along the way, you, there's a, I mean, it's just it's just really interesting. You can just you, you see all the emotions here. David's emotions in terms of. You know, like, who, who am I? It seems like he really, you know, he has this reaction to the servants. Like, why are you, why are you guys messing with me? Just, you know, I, you know I could never be the king's son-in-law. Um, uh, to the stuff with Jonathan. So, uh, yeah, just a, a lot of uh, stuff that you really have a lot of sympathy uh, for in the midst of it, too. Yeah, I think there's there's a, about, it, this, this is a multifaceted conversation about this relationship and I'll let me let me take it here in that yeah. you know man makes his plans God guides his steps you know that yeah. um, we don't confess that God is this giant puppeteer in the sky and that every action is preordained uh, we actually have agency we have a will uh, a, a fallen will but it's still a will you know we, we yeah. still get to make choices every day and uh, and so in the midst of all of this, these are real people, you know, making real choices and decisions, and, and all this plays out in history uh, with this human action. 
the but undergirding and behind that, um, you know, God God's gracious and loving hand is guiding history toward a goal. And we already know the punchline of the goal is Jesus, right? We live, you know, in, in, in the full view of that. It's been, you know, when they were doing this, they didn't know this. But we know, you know, who David is going to become. We know uh, who David's offspring is going to be, right? So that's the ultimate target. And you look at these relationships, and, and, and once that first domino falls, you you can't stem the, the tide of history, right? God is doing something here. Right. And, and, and so that's, that's part of that. And, and you see this uh, playing out that in spite of, you know, you know, human raging and, and, you know, plotting of evil, you know, God's will ultimately be done. And, and, you know, to just step away from the text for a minute, in our day and age today, we see our world convulsing, and we see sometimes evil seeming seemingly triumph, right? But ultimately, you know, all of these things are under God's control, and He will bring them to their ultimate good. Even though for a while, um, you know, there, you know, evil evil things and evil people have sway. So mm-hmm. that's so that's a, that's one facet of this conversation yeah. about what's, where this is going, where this started in chapter 17 with. Uh, that little shepherd boy outside in the fields of Bethlehem uh, coming to fight the Philistine. And yeah. then now with these relationships, um, you see, you know, uh, the other side of this is, is, or another facet of this is, is the character of David, God's anointed, God's chosen, clearly one under the blessing of God and being guided by God. And, and, I, and I'll dare I say full of God's Holy Spirit, you know, acting right. nobly and justly, being a winsome um, person and an, an honorable, um, you know, warrior well, and a, well, a faithful well, yeah, servant. Contrast that with Saul, who is yeah. uh, just the opposite of that. You know, I, mean, I want to say devoid of the Spirit of God, but clearly not a good person and not acting yeah. with God's interests in mind, but in very selfishly and pridefully. And, well, yeah, and, and I think these two these two points you bring up are, are really um, I mean you're you're picking up uh, on some things that we we've seen are, are just kind of these recurring threads throughout um, what you were just saying about you know the the character of David in this contrast um, yeah you know like um, like we've been seeing the last two chapters this goes back to you know chapter sixteen where we have this theme of the spirit goes on um, to David but the spirit of God leaves Saul and instead this uh this this harmful spirit or this bothersome vexing spirit right goes upon Saul so i mean you, you see this sort of um this switch like you were saying and then to your first point about like the human agency i think this gets back to the conversation that we were having uh you know in in 1st Samuel chapter 8 and then like a few chapters later when when uh, Samuel's giving his his big speech um, I, I think this is like First Samuel 15, uh, where, where we were kind of getting to this idea that it, it, you kind of get the sense that regardless of what happened, there was going to be King David, um, and, that, and that that was eventually going to lead to, you know, the Christ, like you were saying. But it was sort of like, well, we can do this like the way that, you know, uh, the, the easy way or the hard way. And so it's like, yeah, if the people are demanding a king right now, you know, not not the king that would you know, be David. Well, okay, sure. I'll, I'll, I'll give you, 
I'll give you your, your Saul. I'll give you what you ask for. You know, getting back to the, the, the word mm-hmm. play on his name. Uh, but in the end, it's still going to lead to King David. So, I mean, uh, I think that, that just uh, that, that thread you're picking up on that it's like there is agency that you see here, but that kind of regardless of uh, re- regardless of kind of like what we end up deciding, it, it's still like the overarching picture, as you were putting it, like, like the guiding um, of God, it, it still ends up going towards the, the, the big plan that he has. So I, I think that, yeah, I mean, those are two good points on how this chapter, I mean, really fits in with the, the whole rest of uh, uh, 1 Samuel here. Yeah, and so then now you get to these relationships, and you can see, that's what I meant at the beginning, where it sort of gets personal, because now it becomes yeah. about David and Jonathan, and these sort of overarching themes be, are borne out in um, in these relationships, right? Um, yeah. So Jonathan, so that day, uh, Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul, and Jonathan took off the robe that was his and gave it to David, his armor, even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And and there is just so much there. You know, you think about Jonathan and David, and you know, there, there's a, there's the cliche, right? It, you know, right. Um, someone, you know, if you go out with someone you don't know, and you know, someone who is mean to the waiter is not a nice person, right? They could be nice to you, but if if they're rude to the yeah. waiter, it sort of betrays their true character. And I feel like, you know, now the text doesn't say, you know, what all transpired between David and Jonathan, but I'm gonna. I'm going to put, you know, little. I'm going to read into the text a little bit here. But you think about Jonathan and David; they're very similar. They're kind of similar in age. Jonathan might be a couple years older than David, uh, but he's grown up under this harsh, um, evil dad. This king who's he, he sees all of the backroom scheming, all of the the you know egotism or uh, megalomania behind his dad, and then David shows up. And, and, and sees in him a character which is blessed by God, full of the Holy Spirit. And, it, you you know, one could say all you can see is admiration, right? He looks yeah. to David, his really, who's his peer, even even slightly younger than him, and he knows immediately that this is the guy, you know, that, that, that he's, you know, selfless or... Uh, you know, a, a, has a servant heart, is this humble thing. And, and the irony or the contrast is, you know, Jonathan is the firstborn son of a king. David right. is the lastborn son of a farmer. You know, yeah. they could not be more different. And uh, and yet Jonathan gives him, really symbolically, gives him all of the the clothing. You know, Jonathan would be the apparent heir of the, the throne. And he says, no, you take my robe and you take my armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt, you know, and it, it's almost a, like a pre-anointing happening right here with yeah, Jonathan. That's, yeah, that's and that's a really um, and, and that's a really interesting question. Just like what extent um, we have some kind of prefigured recognition that you're the true heir, right? Um, and, and we should get into the like what happens between them here, because I, I mean, you know, we're thinking to ourselves, okay, so they're. I, I don't know what they just they recognize their kindred spirits and uh, and they just, they're fast friends right we have you know expressions and uh, you know kind of those kinds of ideas um, even in our culture but you don't necessarily like 
I, I don't know, like take all your clothing and give it to this person. So, I mean, like, it's, you know, what, what is this uh, covenant, right, too? So those are some good questions when you take a look at when we get back from the break. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 18 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. The prophet Isaiah chapter 55 verses 10 and 11. Begin and conclude your day with the word that accomplishes the purposes for which it is sent. Morning prayer at 7 a.m. and evening prayer at 5 p.m. Weekdays on KFUO. Christ for you anytime, anywhere. The broadcasts of morning prayer and evening prayer are underwritten by Lutherans for Life. The preface to the Book of Concord says, We indeed have wished in no way to devise what is new or depart from the truth of the heavenly doctrine which our ancestors have acknowledged and professed. Why is this so important? Thursday on Issues Etc., we'll talk with Pastor Paul McCain about the preface to the Book of Concord. Issues Etc., live weekday afternoons from 3 to 5 on KFUO. Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 18 here. Uh, we're joined today by our guest, Pastor Wally Vinovskis at Concordia Lutheran Church in McCungee, Pennsylvania, uh, looking at this story here and the fast friendship that's formed between David and Jonathan. If you've got a question or a comment for us, give us a call if you're listening live. If you want to join the conversation here, 1-800-730-2727. Or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also call, uh, send an email instead of calling KFUO at KFUO.org. Or you can get on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. We got a few uh, comments and, and questions there, too, that we'll want to take a look at. Um, but the, the thing that we were talking about just before the break uh, that we that we really, and this is one of the questions that we got, so I'll just re re go ahead and read this question here since it's, uh, pertaining directly, uh, does Jonathan giving David his cloak, um, or is, is that recognition by Jonathan uh, of David as being the true heir? And that's a, that's a really interesting question because I mean, yes, you, you see this uh, throughout the, I mean, throughout the scriptures and then even in our liturgical tradition, where we're being clothed like th this is a pretty the important gesture right like like the clothes are are, are indeed a, a big deal <laughs> um in all these different stories and you, you think of uh 
like the old baptismal rites, um, how there, there was an old tradition, uh, Christian tradition, where uh, the baptism would be done naked, and then as soon as you were come out of the come out of the water, you put this big white robe on, yes, right, which we is uh, sort of the like origin yeah. of our modern alb, things like that. So I, I mean, it's 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 a it's a good question. I I don't I don't know if it's like recognition of him as being the heir, but well, I don't know. What, what, what yeah. do you what do you think, brother? Well, I, I think you're I think you're right on. But again, you have to understand what they understood, right? They yeah. could not conceive in the moment. Yeah. You know, the the big picture. You know. Yeah. It, it's like you know, it's it, if you were to you know the an example I often use is when I used to, when I lived in St. Louis. Um, at that time, they had these uh, at the St. Louis Art Museum there at Forest Park. They had these large uh, paintings of Monet's uh, water lilies, uh-huh. and you might have seen these pictures. But you know what you don't realize is they're the size of like a garage door. They're like <sighs> nine or ten feet tall and six or seven feet wide, and there's three panels of them, and they're just made with sort of dots of paint. And if you were to stand like six inches from that painting, you know, with your nose almost right up to the canvas, you would only see the dots in front of you. That's what these people are seeing. They're seeing some color, maybe a little shape or whatever. It's only when you stand 15 feet away that you can see the whole picture, that that there's this giant uh, image there. And I think when you when you say this, it's like the answer is yeah, it is a recognition, but a very small one. It's a, it's the classic Isaiah seven fourteen. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a child. Or yeah, yeah. Genesis three fifteen. Uh, one day, you know, the 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 seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. They they can only understand that at a very kind of limited level. They can't, you know, Adam and Eve can't foresee. Abraham or Moses or David or Jesus. They just have a promise and they hold on to it. And in the same way, Jonathan clearly uh, has some consciousness of that this, that God is doing something here and that David is somebody special. And, and now, you know, from 15 feet away, when we look back over the history of God's plan right. of salvation, you can say, aha, clearly, you know, Mm-hmm. Uh, it, you you can't you can hardly miss that because of all, all what you just said about the robe and the anointing and the dressing and those the and the the role of um, clothing vestments to mark an office right whether it be right. uh, a you know a, a judge who wears the black robe a pastor who wears a clerical or a, a classic one a lot of my my kids several of their classmates went on to become doctors. And mm-hmm. a thing that I didn't realize until I've been watching all these videos is you get a white coat. There's actually a vesting thing when you, yeah, when you finish yeah. medical school. They actually yep. vest you, and mm-hmm. that white coat is the sign of your degree and the office and the position you hold. In the same way, yeah. the well, robe and the armor here are yeah. signs, uh, a foreshadow for sure of his his earthly reign, and uh, a, a, even a deeper foreshadow of of the the messianic office that he will hold or the line yeah, that he will begin. I, I like your illustration of the, uh, the of the giant Monet, uh, and then like you know the mm-hmm. difference of kind of staring at it when it's right in front of your nose versus fifteen feet. 
that, yeah, like I, I think that this is maybe one of these uh, instances where we are supposed to be gathering this extra significance, but it's not to say that they necessarily were were really uh, totally aware of it. I mean, I mean, for that matter, just the story itself in the previous chapter of David versus the Philistine, there's so many little details about that that seem to, I think, actually be signaling that this is a lot more than just David's just killing this one guy, uh, but that th this is like symbolic of uh, th this is a king who is going to, and, and I even kind of, I'm thinking about the smooth stone stuff and, and the shepherd staff, right? I mean, like, all this idea of, or just the imagery of, this is the man who is going to shepherd God's people, bring in uh, a new age, defeat the enemies of God by the power of the word. I mean, this sort of thing. Like, I, I think it's like, it's it's kind of there for, for us, but you know, yeah. you know, did, did everyone yeah. else see that? Oh. Not, not, not really. And so, like to, to to this point here in chapter eighteen, like the exchange of armor was a was it was a common thing in the day. Like I, I remember, I mean, you know, cross cultures. Like I remember, there's a scene in the the Iliad, right? So this is Greek culture, mm -hmm. and two enemies are on. Um, I mean, they're yeah, they're, I mean, they're they're enemies, right? On, on the battlefield, and they encounter each other, and then one's like. Hey, wait, do I, do, it's like, do I know you? Like, are you, are we related? And they figure out like, you know, someone's like third cousin, like five mm -hmm. times removed or something. Is there like connection? So they stop everything. They, they swap like shields and I, I don't know if it was just the shield or if it was any other part of the armor. Right. And they're like, okay, well, you know, what, no, no, no combat here, but if I find you later, you know, I'll, I'll kill you. Okay. Likewise. So, I mean, um, I, I, so I think that maybe on some level, this is just kind of like showing the tightness of the connection that they're brothers in arms. Right. Um, mm -hmm. but, but like you were saying, but the, the bigger picture for us, right. Like we, we kind of know more <laughs> than, than yeah. they realized. Well, well, the punchline, I mean, again, one of the most profound prophetic passages in, in Scripture is the last, very last sentence of First Samuel 17. First Samuel 17, uh, verse 58, uh, uh, Saul says, And who are you? And David answers, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Yeah. Right? You know, he was tending sheep outside of this little village uh, of Bethlehem, right? The city of David. And, you know, several generations later, in that same field, there'll be shepherds watching their flocks by night, and behold, a whole heavenly host would appear to them and say, I have good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. Those very same fields. Uh, so make no mistake, this is dripping with foreshadow and promise, yeah. right? I didn't yeah. hear your Bible study yesterday, I'm sorry, but I hope somebody said, you know, when we when we were kids and learned this in Sunday school, everyone said, "Okay, you have to be David," and the answer yeah. is, "No, you're not David. You're the Israelites. Uh, Jesus yeah. is David, right? And yeah. uh, Jesus is the one who who will defeat the Philistine for us, who defeats sin and death and Satan. And because of that victory, we all go free. And this this notion that he's the Bethlehemite, you know, that's what yeah. we're looking for, the Bethlehemite, because he well, would come one day." And and I think all of this then pushes that forward, right? This, these are these are mileposts along the way till we get to Jesus. Yeah. No, I I I, uh, I think that that actually your your uh, your your comments there are very helpful, and they they 
help answer one of the questions we got over email, actually, uh, which is, are the actions of Jonathan considered hero worship? And why is this hero worship being so expressly displayed by Jonathan? Um, didn't he uh, himself conduct a successful raid against a heavily fortified Philistine garrison earlier? Um, so, yeah, so so good, good question. And I think what you were saying um, helps unpack that, that, you know, we, we did talk about this actually yesterday, that, you know, we think of this as like, I don't uh, like, David, some kind of like little clean shaven <laughs> little boy, right? Like shepherd boy, uh, and, and and then David's like uh, you know facing off against the the be- the big bearded bully or something. Uh, but I mean, we we know actually from chapter sixteen that that he's called a, a man of war. He's called a warrior. So I mean, he's not he's not a little boy. He talks about when he used to be a shepherd. Um, so, you know, he, he cuts the guy's head off and some other things we, we don't need to like, you know, rehash, but so he's not, he's not a little boy. Um, the, the point though, is not that like, wow, this is some kind of, you know, wunderkind or something like this. Like this guy's amazing, but actually, uh, you know, another one of our listeners pointed this out to, to this question that, um, uh, in some ways it's like, David's just doing the same thing that Jonathan did earlier when he said, um, I mean, because this was this was earlier when you know he had to sneak away from his father, right? Because his father's like looking at things like, you know, like I don't know, this is a bad situation. What are we gonna do? Um, but you know, uh, Jonathan sees things differently and says, "Hey, look, we've got God, and he's looking for God's will in this." And so I, I think what's going on is this is a recognition of David, you like, and I are on the same page, man. Well, you you are my brother. You you are my kindred spirit. You know what's important. It's it's not about the numbers. It's not it's not about the the outward appearances. It's about the will of God. And if God gives us gives them into our hand, we should go boldly forward. So I, I think this is recognition that that he and David are on the same page, on the same wavelength. Yeah, yeah exactly right. So he's not worshiping David as a yeah. hero, but embracing him as a brother. Right. So these two men are both on track. Uh, for the same throne, and they make this covenant, and this covenant is strong. Will you know in the end prove stronger than jealousy, than envy, than ambition? Right? You know, if he was an ambitious person, Jonathan would be the first person to want to get David out of the way because you're yeah. my number one threat for the throne. Mm-hmm. But but the two of them are both willing to let God drive this. Both are submitted to to God's will in this. I think you're 100 percent right, AJ. And that, um, and that, that, that this isn't about some sort of hero worship. It's about recognizing that God is moving among His people, Israel, and He's doing something great here. And that this is a moment. And you know, and, and for us in the church, right? I just, you know, I could get off on a tangent about church politics, <laughs> but again, you know, sometimes I see things come through my email or I read things on the internet that yeah. just make that that make me deeply sad when I see yeah. pastors, you know, men called to be shepherds in God's church vying for office or power or position. Yeah. And the answer is you should be a shepherd to your people and the God will God will work that out. You know, you just be faithful to what God's called you and if if he has if he needs you to be somewhere, he'll put you there. Yeah. Um and so so David, so clearly Jonathan isn't worshiping David, but but they're in this together, seeking to serve God in this. Uh, I I agree a hundred percent. Like this is just this this recognition, like that that really is just so. Like you were saying, it, it doesn't matter the the individual person that's here. It's 
Jonathan and David are on the same page in that way. It's just that that doesn't matter. It's it's the God behind him, um, which is exactly what what David said earlier too, uh, when he was fighting off against the Philistines. It just, just doesn't matter, like that, whether it's him or me or I mean, it's just it's 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 about God. So, um, I, 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 there's a couple other things I would love to get into, but we, Go we just got to move on. We just got to move on. Um, Let's go on. But, yeah, so so uh, I think I think we got the I think you really helped us unpack the the, the big idea there the, this recognition right this this common perspective this um I mean that the, really there's this re- deep resonate re- uh, resonance between the two about you know what's really important um, and they have this I mean it, it shows the bond of faith really um, that that we have with each other in the, in the best sense of being brothers and sisters in Christ I I think that they're demonstrating that um, but so then then we get uh, a different reaction to David, right? Because uh, the women, they, they start singing. And um, I mean, I guess, I guess this, you could, you could ask a question here about this. They're, they're, the, the song, right? Saul struck down thousands, David, his 10,000s. I, I don't know if, you know, maybe you could say maybe are the women or are the, are the people kind of starting to go this way where, where there's maybe a little bit of like, Oh, David, 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 he's like the, the newest uh, hot thing. Right. And maybe, you know, is that appropriate or not? I, I, I don't know if that's what we're supposed to be taking from it. It seems like it's sort of kind of standard Hebrew poetry, you know, that you would just say like thousands and ten thousands in parallel lines like that. I, I think the the big thing we take away from it is that Saul's just like, they're, they're just happy and dancing in the streets. And Saul's like, well, but they're not saying that I'm the bestest. I, I mean, like, so I think that Saul's reaction is actually portrayed as being a little bit unreasonable and just like, whoa, like, why are you, you know, uh, you know, taking, uh, I, I don't know, like letting this bother you so much. So I think that Saul is really, um, being shown as being, uh, irrationally or disproportionately paranoid. Um, yeah, maybe I, 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 I think way. that's exactly right. Right. David became popular and the, the sense you get from the text is that, he he really wasn't seeking this. He was just doing what God called him to do, being faithful yeah. with that, and people celebrated that thing, right? Saul, on the other hand, was a person of small character. Basically, it, it's all about him, right? He became, um, you know, that that if if you think about the song it's like celebrating Saul yay Saul has slain yeah, his right. thousands yay woo woo david is 10000s woo woo and like exactly. Saul's like wait a minute wait a minute you know it's <laughs> kind of the old cliche about the the movie star not getting the the bigger letters or the bigger billing on the marquee right yeah. Right. And and it's like no, we're we're celebrating you both. No, I want my yeah. letters to be bigger. And 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 again, it just shows the poverty of character, and that Saul is not in a right relationship with God. That 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 you know you know again, it's that that turn being turned in on oneself rather than being focused on God upward and neighbor outward. Saul is turned in on himself and. And and that's what's broken in his life. And you can see that in our own lives, in our own families, or in, in our culture, or in politics, is, 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 is the person focused on neighbor. And you see this yeah. in churches with pastors, right? Uh, is, are you focusing on God and neighbor, or are you focusing on yourself and your attention? And it goes south very quickly when, when, when people's primary focus is on themselves. 
Well, and, and, and what you were saying about the, the, the brokenness of the relationship with God and the being turned inward, um, I, I got to say, you know, I, I mentioned that this chapter is full of irony. I, I feel like, well, so one of the things, the irony I think we're going to see is that um, here, here's Saul repeatedly trying to kill David. And uh, mm-hmm. we already talked about this uh, on Monday when we looked at Psalm 57. Uh, but we're going to see later how David spares his life multiple times, right? So I think that's that's big, right? It says, uh, what is this? David evaded him twice, right? Mm-hmm. Um, later, David's going to spare his life twice. So I think that is deliberate literary irony right here, um, the way that this is described. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but for me, one of the things that I thought is that um, when, when it comes to then, like, okay, when the this, this spear throwing doesn't work, he's like, I know what I'll do. I'll, uh, I'll, I'll, like, do this whole, uh, I'll, this marriage thing. That's how I'll get him, because this will uh, give me a chance to put him on the front lines, um, and then I'll be rid of him, and I'll have what I want. And David, ironically, is going to do, like, the same thing later I was when it comes say, yeah, to Bathsheba. A horrible foreshadow. It's, it's it's yeah. terrible irony. Oh, it's terrible geez. irony. I mean, and, and the thing is, it's 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 it's, it's, it's um. I, I think that even the the way that the details are, it's like, uh, I I mean, uh, you know, so so he promises his first daughter, that doesn't happen. And gives him uh, then promises like the second daughter, right? And, and so in the case of David, it's like, well, he's after um. You know, it, this is not something pertaining to his his first wife, but someone else's wife. Um, and this time for David, uh, the let's put the guy on the front lines. It's not so that he won't usurp the throne, um, but so that he can steal the wife of this other man. So I, I think there's something really tragic and ironic about that. And I, th- I think it shows in you know, a big picture how Saul and David are, are really not so different. Getting back to, to what we were talking about at the beginning of the, uh, of the chapter— like it's not like David's just a fantastic person and like a you know like a, a prodigy and a wonder and a just a, a fantastic you know upright person and, and Saul is a, a miser and a, and a terrible guy. It's just that I mean honestly at the end of the day they're the same. Um, they're they're I mean they're people of faith, but they have a sinful nature. And and the thing is when the spirit of God is strong with them, they do great wonderful things in, in the service of the kingdom. Um, and when the spirit is not, the, the sinful nature takes over, and it does the same things in David and in Saul. Yeah, so let me throw St. Paul into this. 1 Corinthians yeah. 10, uh, beginning with verse 11, this next couple of verses. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us, yeah. on whom the culmination of the ages has come. So... If you think you are standing firm, be careful lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you except that which is common to mankind. And then it goes on to say God is faithful, right? Um, and so there's the challenge. I appreciate I, Amen and amen, AJ. You preach it because it's true. Every, every single character in the Bible is not a superhero. They're a, they're a fallen human being. Uh, in, with, and under the blessing of God, God uses them mightily. Abraham, Moses, Noah, David. But all of those guys, Abraham, Moses, Noah, and David, have their own shady chapters. Yeah. Everyone reminds us, you know. My One of my favorite chapters of the Bible is Acts chapter 5, uh, for the simple reason that you read Acts 2, 3, and 4, and you think, oh, it's utopia. 
Jesus died and rose. Yeah. The love of God is spreading. And then you get Acts 5. Nope, people yeah. lie. They cheat. You know, yeah. And it's a reminder of, of how dependent we are, A, on God's blessing, his strength, and his grace, and then secondly on his mercy and forgiveness, which we will also see in David. Uh, yeah. yeah, David screwed up royally, but he uh, also was forgiven royally by God. Yeah. You know, and that same, you know, again, Saul and David, it's like Peter and Judas, right? They're the same guys. One one saw and recognized and received and embraced the grace of God. The other despaired of it, you know, and perished. Yeah. And, yeah, and yeah, so, so go ahead. Saul could have been the guy, but he wasn't the guy. Yeah, no, that's right. Like, it's it's really, uh, I think that heeding the warning of St. Paul, uh, I mean, it's like what it's what St. Paul says. I mean, uh, we were looking at this in Romans, uh, we didn't read the chapter, but we were making a connection to it in Romans 13, uh, it's like 11, actually. Um, but, I mean, Saul, uh, Paul says, well, yeah, Saul was also his name. Uh he says that this should inspire fear in us. <laughs> that, like, there, therefore, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That we should stop and say to ourselves, "Wow, okay, there's not actually like a like a categorical difference between me and the you know vicious, evil, them sinner, godless heathen that that I you know think is like the source of all the problems in the world, right?" Um, but for it, the grace you know, of God, AJ, there go I. Yeah, yeah, no, no, exactly. Only, only, but for the grace of God, and, and, and like that, really, I mean, it, it's just something where I mean, the, this story is is not meant to say like, wow, David's amazing and Saul was terrible. It, it's it's just saying that you know, really, we're all just beggars before God, and Saul, for a time, because the Spirit of God was on him, like served God faithfully and did amazing things for the kingdom, and like you can't take that away, and and uh, Saul. Uh, Saul of Tarsus later was not going to be given the name Saul by his parents unless Israel looked back on on this king and said, "Yeah, it, he was an instrument of God and and he did lots of good." I mean, so he was remembered well for his faithfulness, you know? I mean, like he wouldn't have been named that otherwise. Uh but it just shows how, you know, it's like it, it's just it's just for this and like you you mentioned Moses too, right? And same same deal, right? Moses faithful, faithful, does does amazing things. Didn't ask for the position, right? But then after 40 years where he's like, "You know what, you guys, do you know who you're messing with? I I'm, I'm Moses. I'm I'm the leader here." And he hits this rock, right? And and mm-hmm. then a, and then he gets punished for it. So this this happens the, the the humbling thing and the scary thing I think is that this will happen to all of us in different ways that we we will we will faithfully serve God by his grace for a time. But but all of us will along the way demonstrate why we should not remain in our at our posts forever, um, be, because we are not uh, capable of being just perpetually uh, faithful. Only only Christ. Yeah, I appreciate that, AJ. Pray for me, and I'll pray for you. Thank you. Yeah. So, um, t- turning then towards. Uh, maybe some of the other aspects i mean like you can you can kind of pick one i mean whether it's uh whether you want to talk about the bride price here <laughs> uh which is uh, an interesting uh, scene or uh or, or or maybe just the thing about uh you know david's reaction like hey why are you guys taunting me there's no way i could become the the king's son-in-law i, I mean there's a couple different aspects but just with a couple minutes left here um, one of these details you want to pick up? Because, I mean, they're just so full of, like you were saying, like foreshadowing in many ways, too. Yeah, I, uh, 
I, I think there's there's probably more than we could do in the last five minutes other than to say, I, you know, to pick up on that main theme is, you know, Saul is grasping at straws and he's going to take the he's going to try every strategy he can to try to either entrap David, make him make him angry, make him jealous, right? So he offers her and then he he's, he gives her somebody else and and he's trying to pull out of David these personality characters that he has. So he's a jealous and angry guy. So he's going to see if he can make David jealous and angry. He's a greedy guy. So he's going to see if he can make David greedy, you know, and try to ensnare him in some way. You know, it's, um, it's, it's almost sort of like trying, you know, you know, somebody has a problem with, with alcohol or something. And he's like, well, let me buy you a six pack for your birthday. You know, it's just between us, you know, and, and it's like, it's trying to set these little traps or find these, whatever your weakness is, you know? And, and I think, you know, the, the bigger thing, maybe the application for us is that we see, you know, say, you know, this is how Satan works, right? He, you know, he, he, he does these subtle lays these subtle traps. And ultimately, David, as you had said earlier, would be, you know, ensnared in, in, in a trap later. But, but at least in these early chapters, David be, behaves more wisely than all of the servants of Saul, right? He, by the grace of God and, and by the, you know, the, you know, the gifts that God gave him, he, he was able then to, make good choices, do the right thing, be a good example. And then he lives to tell the story. And ultimately, God's hand, you know, guides and leads him through this. And ultimately, God would bring him even through those kind of dark moments in his life. And so, so, you know, the example is, is that is to trust in God and to, to, you know, and, and, and to walk with him. Amen. And uh, in many ways, foreshadowing how uh, even when the the prince of of the air right would would tempt the king of kings um, again and again right like there was a greater wisdom that was shown in the humility of Christ and His love for us so thank you so much brother lots of AJ, good things out of the conversation today it's always a joy God bless you and your listeners thank you brother and you too everybody Pastor Wally Vanovskis Concordia McCunchy Pennsylvania going on to chapter 18 next time till then I'm Pastor AJ Espinosa peace your support is vital for this program to continue you can make a gift safe secure and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting by Strong Word.